Welcome to the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. We discuss five questions in about 10 minutes, and I am very excited to welcome our guest today. This is Dennis Walker. He is the CEO of Central Content Pro out of Saratoga Springs, Utah, which is right next door to where I am at, which is in Eagle Mountain, Utah. But Dennis, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. What would you like the people to know about Central Content Pro? Sure. We're a content marketing white label shop. Uh, so we work mainly with marketing agencies, web development agencies, and software companies as uh, our main clients in a white label capacity. So the end client usually has no idea that we've touched it. Um, and our focus is copywriting. We're, uh, we have about uh, 40 to 50 writers that you know, we're able to choose from. We have a core group of about 10 of us that are pushing this thing forward. And uh, my partner, Danielle, and I are heading it out. It's been a blast. Uh, we've kind of saw the writing on the wall a few years ago, right before COVID. And uh, we knew that this really, so we've spent the last couple of years just building the heck out of this thing. It's been really fun. Oh, that's great. Well, congratulations on your early success here. And I hope that that continues for you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into our questions. The first question, share a time with the audience when maybe you had kind of a conflict or a disagreement with a coworker and how you resolved it. Sure. Um, I worked for a large industrial uh, company here in uh, the Salt Lake Valley for probably about eight, nine months. Um, it wasn't my favorite position. And uh, I didn't love the work. I didn't necessarily even love my coworkers. Um, my immediate department was pretty good, though. So I got through it pretty well day to day, um, but there was a particular lady. In fact, there were two particular ladies in that company who would come over and cause problems for me. Um, I was new to the company and they were not kind to outsiders there. Um, they were consistently picking fights with me and uh, I really got tired of it. <laughs> and and I hope that they're, uh, they're not listening to this because I'm going to be a little brutal here. But they, they had no business coming over and creating the difficulties that they did with me. Um, I was new. I was still fairly fresh out of college. This was more or less my first main job in a sub-management role. And I was concerned that uh, this, this was going to make my job too difficult to do. Um, eventually, I realized that I couldn't resolve this on my own. I knew it wasn't going to happen. So I went, a ho I went over their heads and I went to uh, the operations officer. I asked for his help. I said, look, I need to get along with these people. It's unfortunately a requirement of my job. What do I do? He knew them better than I did. So he walked me through what, you know, what, what was their, their issues, what made them tick, um, what they actually both enjoyed. It took some time um, to get these two women to like me. I, instead of focusing on them, however, focused on those around them. And I made friends with those around them. I worked on building my internal reputation at the company. It made all the difference. Um, I didn't focus on the negative. I dealt with it when I had to, but I didn't focus on the negative there. And, and I, I would contrast that to some of the other jobs that I held before that as a you know, teenager and a young adult where I did focus on the negative. Um, this was a mindset shift for me. And as I moved into other roles in the professional world, um, I was able to get through the conflict a little easier uh, because I understood, okay, yeah, if we dwell on the positive, 
while still admitting the negatives there and that it must be addressed at some point, uh, it can it can take a lot less energy for me and my work day, and I'm not going to go home nearly as exhausted. I like that. So good advice. It's basically looking for the positive and uh, building those internal relationships. And it sounds like a little bit of, uh, I have to be patient with the process in there as well. Trying to, and people you definitely have yep. to be patient with people, right? Not everybody's going to be easy to work with. Right. And, and a little further down the road, I learned that one of them had recently been divorced, right? So she was just taking it out on everybody at work. That's obviously not the right thing to do, but I get it. And the other one, um, she was actively losing control in her role. Mm. Uh, things and responsibilities and uh, oversight was being taken from her. Decisions were being made without her and she was upset about it. And so she was looking to find control anywhere she could. And I don't think it was even a conscious effort. I think that she was just a little bit desperate and to not be forced into retirement early. And that's where, uh, that's where it came out with her. Mm-hmm. And there often is an underlying cause that uh, acts any of us to act a certain way. So good, uh, good, good advice, Dennis. Thank you. All right. Question number two, I'm sure you've heard the phrase that people don't leave jobs. They leave managers. What's one suggestion that you have for managers and leaders to help retain their talent longer? Leave your people alone. (laughs) Trust them, let them do their job. They're probably going to do it better than you can. And uh, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be keeping a pulse on your organization, that there shouldn't be accountability, but people need to be left to do what they're good at. For instance, I'm not good at accounting. And when I say I'm not good at it, I'm accurate, but I'm slow. And if I was to sit there and oversee all of our accounting processes, every number that was crunched, instead of trusting my people to do the right job the first time, it would, uh, it would create a much slower process and would frankly stifle our growth here at Central Content. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. I need to trust your people and kind of leave them alone. I think that's the right way to approach it. So good, good, good advice. Thank you. Question number three, how can a leader help to build resilience in a team? Startup environments aren't easy. Um, I, I think of a previous business where I started up where one of the partners dipped out after about mm, probably 45 days. And, uh, and I said, where are you going? He said, I don't know, but anything's easier than this. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, it's unfortunate because, um, this particular guy does lack resilience and I've watched him hop from job to job to job. And I sit there and I think, where did I fail as a leader in helping develop his resilience early on? That's kind of helped me take a look at where I'm at now and how do I continue to develop resilience in the current team that I have. Um, I think step number one is to keep uh, accountable to your people. Help them know where the organization is and the steps that they need to take to be involved with it. Second is train them. Um, I encourage all of my people to read certain books to help get their mindset to where it needs to be in the startup world. And I talk to them up front before they even join and say, look, this isn't going to be easy. We're a startup world in the startup world where we're setting expectations here right now at the beginning that you're probably going to be working after hours. Um, We all have day jobs still. I work for paychecks. 
as my day job. So I'm putting a good seven, eight hours a day to pay checks. And then I turn around to the other computer and I get on uh, central content items for the next one to three hours. And at the end of my day, well, sometimes it's been 12 hours. Um, and, and I think setting that expectation in the beginning with them really does make a difference. And, and taking a pulse with them um, as a leader, it's my responsibility to say, hey, how are you feeling right now? Um, the resources that I've been able to make available to them, hey, you know, we've got this mental health counselor that can help you. you know, do you need insurance of some kind? Do, is there something that we can do to um, take a load off of you? Giving my, the people in my organization uh, the power to help each other um, step outside of their normal work environment and to, to help another writer or, or to edit something or to even step in um, and help with invoicing or something like that. But creating a team environment really can help build that resilience too, where they know they can lean on each other, they can trust each other. So uh, set expectations, um, create a team environment, and then provide resources to your people. Oh, that's fantastic. Great three steps to helping to build resilience. Thank you for sharing those. Question number four, is there someone that you'd like to recognize that's had a positive influence in your life? There's a lot of really good men and women who have made a strong influence on me. There's no doubt about it. I think I'd like to talk about Scott Newman. Um, he was a professor of mine when I was in college, but it was his second career. So he had a good solid business career behind him. He'd been a VP at several large financial organizations here in Salt Lake, as well as uh, some tech organizations. And um, he, when he would get up uh, the first day of class, he would talk about our learning contract. He would, again, set those expectations and say, look, this is our contract together. You know, this was our business 101 class. It was the first time I encountered that. And, and it laid out what he expected from us over the next semester. It made it easy to meet the obligations. And I knew that if I was going to be able to turn in an assignment late, that I had to reach out to him ahead of time and say, hey, look, I'm out of town. Um, I'm stuck in the snow on my way back from Washington State right now. <laughs> There's no way I can get this to you in time. Um, I'll be home this day and I should have the assignment done by this day. And, and because he set that expectation with me ahead of time, it, it prepped me. And inevitably, there's always going to be somebody that screams, it's not fair. But it was the contract that we signed. And I learned very early on that um, if you make an agreement and you keep it, the other party will likely honor their end and things will go a lot more smoothly. And he taught us how to honor contracts through that method. Um, he, he was still, uh, rough on me where he needed to be. I remember there was a semester where I was kind of slacking off and I, I think I was carrying a C grade and he corners me outside of the elevator there, uh, in our building. And he said, Dennis, you're a good student. Act like it. Be <laughs> <laughs> <Pretty> direct. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he, he told me, he talked me up though. He said, look, you're smart. You're engaging. Um, you're dynamic. People like being around you. He said, you're doing yourself a disfavor if you don't stay up on your homework, if you don't uh, show up to class. And I knew he was right. Mm -hmm. uh, I cleared that semester with a B. So that was important. Well and done. Then, you got through speaking, it. I did. I did. And speaking to that uh, particular 
idea of grading. He always says that he was going to write a book called It's Not About the A, but rather um, it, while you're in college and in any learning situation, you need to be focused on learning skills. And because he told me that my second semester in college, excuse me, my third semester in college, it changed my outlook on what I was studying. I knew I had to get out with marketable skills that were going to pay me well. And whether that was leadership or writing uh, or accounting or sales, um, or, which are all skills I do believe I have now, um, I knew that that was going to be critical to my success because not everybody makes it to grad school. And I had planned to become an attorney and to gain that skill of the law, but not everybody makes it. So, um, and, and I didn't make it to grad school, at least not yet. You know, I'm 35 and uh, it may still happen, but today uh, I, I lean heavily on those skills. Well, the good skills are rarely wasted. It's always good to have good skills. So it's true. that's great. Well, thank you for recognizing him. All right, let's wrap it up with our last question. Tell us a little bit about your first job. So I worked um, at a, a grocery store called Public Supermarkets, and I'd had odd jobs here and there, you know, a day at a firm where my dad works now and uh, mowing lawns and things like that. But my first true real corporate job was at the supermarket. It's called Publix Supermarkets down in the Southeast United States. They hold the corner market on grocery down there. And uh, it, it was a wake up call for my 17 year old self. <laughs> I, I did learn though the importance of climbing the corporate ladder while I was there um, and doing, doing your best uh, to get to the next level. And I, I feel like this day and age um, there's become an, an a pushback against climbing. I think that's a mistake uh, because climbing helps develop us as long as you're not stepping on other people to get where you want to go. So this particular job, I started as a bagger and I had to learn how to deal with the scheduling of a retail store, which is garbage, by the way. I think they should make that more consistent still to this day. It's been 20 years. Um, and um and then I learned what needed to be done uh, to be recognized by management for doing a job well. Um, I worked quickly to be promoted to, you know, just a base cashier. And then um, a few months after that, the store manager approached me and said, hey, we'd like to move you into stock. This is where it really got interesting because the manager there, um, he didn't care about our personal lives. He would schedule us from 12 p.m. to 12 a.m., uh, mm. three to four days a week. And so you're there working some pretty rough hours. And I, I don't recommend that. Um, <laughs> right. It wasn't very fun. Um, oh. And, and in that, uh, while I was in that particular position, they gave me the responsibility of making sure all the bread was ordered correctly and on the shelves and working with the vendors. So it taught me quite a bit about finance and vendor relations and ordering and forecasting was it was an important time for me. But um, this particular leader, he was about as disengaged as they could be while still trying to manage on the ground. Well, I, I approached him and told him I wanted to go to a concert one day. He said, no, you can't have that Saturday off. I said, look, my aunt bought these tickets. I went anyway, and they suspended me. Okay. Right. Oh. And, and they suspended me for, I believe it was seven days, no pay. Um, and I was, I was irked. I tried to talk them out of it. I ended up leaving that department. I went to an even worse department. And uh, I worked for probably to this day, 
um, a man who is one of the most micromanaging individuals I've ever worked for. Um, I'm, I'm going to write a book. I, it's, it's in its first draft now called Fire the Micromanager uh, because of my experience with this particular guy. And I, th- I, I still think he's one of the worst managers I've ever worked for. Yeah. Uh, it was a wake up call for me um, that not everybody cares about you. And some people just want to run your life. Right. And they want to tell you what to do. And uh, they're going <laughs> to they're going to do what they need to do, come hell or high water. And they're going to make your life very difficult if you don't do things exactly the way they say. Um, I swore. Within a few weeks that I would never be that kind of manager. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to dwell on the negative here. So the important things that I learned from that are, again, leave your people alone, let them do their job, have accountability, right? You know, a few times a day, where are we? If, you know, in a, in a retail environment, especially where things are moving fast, care about their personal lives, give them the time that they need, be an adult and treat them like an adult. Don't throw temper tantrums. Um, at your people when things don't get right, when you realize that your whole team doesn't like you, it's probably your problem and not theirs. Um, so I've, I've always worked to keep a pulse on uh, my teams and the organizations where I'm at to make sure that um, my people, even if they don't necessarily like me, that I at least have a little bit of respect for what I can do and that they feel like I'm treating them well. Um, you're, not a, you're not always going to get along with everybody. That's okay. But if they do feel like you're treating them well, like you're a good boss, then you're doing something right. And you don't even have to be, and you probably even shouldn't be intertwined in their personal lives. And that was one of the biggest issues at this particular uh, supermarket. Everybody was very involved in each other's personal lives, and it made for a lot of drama at work. And so when I was nine, yes, yeah. So when I was 19, I stepped away to go serve a mission for my church. And uh, I, it was a completely different environment. And it was almost a sense of relief that I'd left that job. And it's really too bad um, because this is an organization that prides themselves on being a pleasurable place to shop for their, um, their customers for treating their employees. Well, Um, they, they make it easy to promote within the organization um, but they, they were making a lot of mistakes. And I actually ended up writing several case studies on my time uh, there while I was in college. And I learned from it. Um, the positive things, though, I learned from that organization came largely from our store manager. Her name was Janet Ferguson. And uh, I still hold her in the highest of respect. We clashed. Don't get me wrong. But she did it professionally. And um, I remember one evening we were short on people and I, you know, I was not a base bagger anymore. I was doing something else in the store and uh, she was obviously running the store and they pay their people very well. So, you know, here she is making a high six figure salary and she and I are sweeping the floor together at 11 PM to clean it up and make it nice. So she would get down on the ground and she'd do the work with us. And that was, that was probably one of the best cultural things that I learned there was get down on the ground and do the work with your people. Otherwise you may not necessarily know how to tell them what to do. And uh, her and her assistant manager both would, would do that. They get down, they do the work. They would uh, work cash registers if they need to, they would bag groceries. And uh, then they'd go do their forecasts and their management meetings and whatever else they needed to do. But they would always make sure that um, the work was done right 
and that if they were, they were shorthanded, they were down there on the ground working with us. Great examples. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that, Dennis. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How can people find you? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn, Dennis J. Walker Jr. Um, it says uh, I'm the CEO of Central Content Pro, as well as uh, an HR consultant for Paychecks. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to connect with them there and talk. They can also shoot me an email to Dennis at centralcontent.pro. I'm happy to exchange uh, dialogue there and uh, see if building a relationship makes sense with just about anyone. Very good. All right. Thank you very much. This is Sean Richards with the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. For more ideas, go to teamengagementpodcast.com. We also invite you to subscribe or follow the podcast, whether you're listening to the audio version or watching the video version. But thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks.